Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information, which can be found nowhere else. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways, like Gina, who just won last week's giveaway. Congratulations, Gina. This week, we're talking about the Lord of Indolence, or Abandoned Success, a card whose boots are made for walking. It's the Eight of Cups, which is associated with Saturn ruling the first Deccan of Pisces, and which is, incidentally, the Deccan where my own Ascendant falls. I like this card, <laughs> even if Crowley does call it the apex of unpleasantness. Personally, I enjoy wandering off into the dim reaches of the imagination, where there are more questions than answers. Maybe it looks like indolence from the outside. But hey, I'm not lazy. I'm just resting my eyes. For this week's giveaway, we're offering our winner a prize from Mel's Nox at Lux deck, the rare black and white edition of Tabula Mundi, since, as Mel says, the Lord of Indolence would probably abandon the job of coloring a whole deck. You'll have the choice of either a matted print of the Eight of Cups or a set of the Nox at Lux majors. They are an austere and elegant counterpoint to the Caloris Arcus cards, and any true Tabula Mundi fan should have some in their collection. You can find out more and sign up for the drawing at our site, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. In the meantime, we've got something to ask you. If you're loving Fortune's Wheelhouse and the fantastically geeky world of tarot we bring you each week, would you leave us a review on iTunes? You can write a couple sentences about why you dig this podcast, or you can just drop us five stars. We love that, too. Leaving a review is something free you can do, which really helps us and also helps other people find the show. Being a practitioner of the esoteric arts can be a lonely business, so help us find the others and build our community. If you're on Facebook, you can also connect with other listeners at Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy, which is a page moderated by astral superheroes Darren, Naya, and Maria. Even now, over 150 listeners are sharing their love of esoteric tarot and planning a Fortune's Wheelhouse meetup for this fall. You could be one of them. And now, here's this week's episode. Welcome to the Eight of Cups. 
the first card in our series of three Pisces cards, uh, and the conclusion of the numeric Miners in the Cup suit, otherwise known as Indolence, the Lord of Indolence, or the Lord of Abandoned Success, which is the Golden Dawn's name for it, of course, uh, while Crowley's name was Indolence. Now, um, maybe we can talk about those two ideas Real quick, because they're different. They're really a little quite bit. Different. Yeah, yeah. Um, indolence really implies laziness uh, it does. more so than abandoned success. But I guess yeah. there's a, a similar thread in that. Why would you abandon success unless you're kind of lazy? I think there's a there's like a world weariness that goes with the abandoned success. Like I think in the in the book T text they say something about you have temporary success and then you walk away from it, kind of a thing. Yeah. It's like it's not good enough or something, or you're just... Yeah, you lose interest. Yeah, yeah the taste of life loses its savor. And indolence, I kind of like to look up the root of the word because I think it might have to do with... Uh, do you know what indoles are? Yeah, yeah. that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a, it's a chemical substance. So it's like in perfume, in if something oils. is... Yeah, right, that's, that's If exactly something right. has indoles in it, it has like a a sort of a smell of feces, right? You know, there's like a corrupt smell to it. Oh, that's very interesting very in terms Saturnine. of this card too, because I think Crowley especially describes the uh, the lagoon shown here as being corrupt and poisonous and, yeah. and nasty, like kind of like a cesspool. Yeah, yeah. Indoles are, um, you know, they they carry the scent of death and the scent of excrement. <laughs> Lovely. You know, that kind of goes with that whole Crowley idea of this card as the apex of unpleasantness, right? <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll look up the roots later. We don't have to stop now, but it's just kind of interesting. Okay, this is post-production Susie here, and uh, I have looked up the word origins of indole and indolence, and believe it or not, they are not related. Indole, the nasty smell, actually comes from a combination of indigo plus oleum, the Latin suffix for oil, and indolence actually comes from also Latin, but uh, in meaning not, plus the rest of it comes from a familiar root, dolor, meaning pain, so without pain. Oh, well, it's still a cool idea, so I think I'm going to leave it in. Okay, now back to the show. And it's not like other cards where you have, you know, you can compare abandoned success to the idea of success in the six of discs, right? You could even compare it to maybe shortened force where you're trying to do something, but you don't succeed. But this is like, you know, you had it and then you walked away. And why do people do that? I don't know. So in this case, I kind of think of it's something to do with the fact that, so it's a cups card and cups are all about the emotional journey, whereas Saturn kind of inhibits that. Like you lose your emotional desire for the thing. Yeah. It, it dries up. It's it overwhelming. Goes away, it's too much. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's burdened somehow and mm-hmm. decides it isn't worth it or something. The emotions feel too heavy or too much to bear or else, or else you're, it, you can either think of the positive emotions drying up or the negative emotions becoming either right. way. And either way would be sort of a Saturn uh, plus Pisces. Because it's hoed. Mm-hmm. So we've got the Mercury aspect of it. Not only are your emotional responses kind of burdened, but your intellectual. So on either side, you know, 
you got nothing going for you. And it's in Pisces, which isn't necessarily the strongest sign. It's the last of the triad where the, the water element is kind of fading anyway. With this burden of Saturn, it doesn't have enough juice to overcome these. Yeah. If your mind and your emotions mm-hmm. aren't with it, and you don't have enough juice to overcome that inertia, you're mm-hmm. not going to get anywhere. <laughs> right. You know, you have the cold, dry Saturn, you have the intellect, the airy intellect of Hode, you have all of that combating watery Pisces. And it's not like the cards we've been dealing with, which were all doubles, where something predominated, we're done with that streak now. So this is one of those cards where everything's kind of at cross purposes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting to think about, maybe we can talk about Pisces in general, um, the themes of Pisces a little bit, like, uh, you know, the sea, anything having to do with water. Yeah, I think of Pisces as the sea in the sense of the collective unconscious. Exactly. You know, this boundless sea. And it's kind of like the container at the end of the Zodiac. You know, I've heard it even called the dustbin of the Zodiac, where everything (laughs) ends up, you know, all the accumulated karma or whatever is happening ends up there and collected into this great boundless sea. Right. And it has, classically, the ruler's Jupiter. It has that expansive, infinite quality um of no boundaries. Yeah, of having dissolved everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dissolved is a great word for, yeah. for Pisces and Neptune. Yeah, and then it has to make that transition back into Aries, you know, where everything sort of contracts and focuses again. So it's this moment, you know, this moment of ultimate unfolding where everybody is connected and everybody is one. Yeah. In the great sea of unconsciousness. So we talked about the hangman having a relationship to all of the cups cards because it's elemental water. And therefore, the hangman also has a relationship to the chariot, death, and the moon cards, right? Yeah. So that's a story within the hanged man. Yeah. And I was, I was thinking about that a little. If you could really sum it up super succinctly, if you start with cancer, that might be the sort of baptism, the initiation into water. And then uh, Scorpio, you have the sacrifice of the hanged man. And in the end, in Pisces, the redemption. It's uh, it's almost like what we were talking about, the quest that you undertake for something, the sacrifice you make for that wisdom or for that gift, for that other way of seeing. And then the final part of it, the moon, is the other way of seeing. You know, uh, as you say, baptism, sacrifice. Redemption. Redemption. And it has, um, yeah. yeah, that sort of almost has the ori- religious overtones of mm-hmm. the, the hanged man theme. And also the cup suit has some parallels with the grail quest. It certainly does. Yeah. So when you think about the astrological uh, rulership of Saturn over this decan, the first decan of Pisces, I sometimes think of this as, you know, the, the sea in its most deadly form or its most malefic form, you know, where you yeah. might drown or might, you might be becalmed. Either way, it's a problem, right? Yeah. Kind of like what we were talking about, too much dryness or too much emotion. Either way, you're in trouble. The waters of Pisces are said to be calm in general, but if you add Saturn to that, mm-hmm. it could be too calm, 
to the point to the point of stagnation or where you get no traction right like we see in your eight of cups yeah right you know i think there's also that suffocating property of saturn as well the sort of like gasping for air sort of closing down which is a form of drowning as well that's interesting um just brought that made me think of crowley's quote about the moon card the card of pisces which says something like the moon has no air yes that's interesting, right? Water, but no air. Yeah. So maybe no intellect, you know, more on the emotional, right. intuitive, subconscious level, right. not the rational. And that's how we drown. Too much water, yeah. not enough air. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Another interesting thing about this card, I think, well, we'll talk about it later, but the notion of the eclipse that's uh, included on the Eight of Cups in Rider-Waite-Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, um, another thing I thought was interesting about this sector of the zodiac is that actually the fixed star Fomalhaut resides in this Deccan rather than Aquarius, even though the four watchers stars, the yeah. four royal stars are said to be in the fixed signs. Well, in this case, the southern fish is right below the constellation of Aquarius. And at one time, it was considered part of the constellation of Aquarius. Okay. The water bearer is pouring his jugs into the mouth of the fish. And right. this fish mouth is like right below, and, and it's receiving all that. Okay. And this star, Fomalhaut, actually, maybe at one time, you know, back in ancient times, Hellenistic times, perhaps it was actually in Aquarius, but now it's at the, I believe, the fourth degree of Pisces. In tropical Pisces. So that would mm-hmm. be in this in this decade. So the star Regulus mm-hmm. has recently, I think in 2012, moved from the fixed sign Leo yes. into Virgo. So it's moved from a fixed. beast sign to a human sign. So Ooh, from the lion to the woman. And then in this case, we have it the Other opposite way, way. So this card has moved from the human of Aquarius into the fish of Pisces. Right. So, the, right. you know, so it, you still have a human, you still have the beasts. You know what I mean? It's right. kind of like, uh, right. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And you would sort of expect there to be an, uh, a trade-off between sort of the instinctual side of our nature and the intellectual side of our nature because of that. Also, there's that relationship between Aquarius and Pisces generally, where Aquarius is, you know, the crypto water sign. It's practically. Yeah, it's called the water bearer, even though it's an air sign. People always find that confusing. And so this, so this star, um, Fomalhaut, is in the area of the sky that's called the sea. And I thought that was interesting, too. And the star itself has uh, several other names, one of which is the Lonely Star. And it's called that because that area of the zodiac is super dark. And they're all the stars of the constellation Pisces and the um, constellation of the Southern Fish. They're, they're rather faint, but this one's really bright. So it looks like it's kind of all alone in this dark sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and another really cool thing about it is if you look up pictures of it, like the astronomy photos, it looks like a giant eye. And so another name for it is wow. the Eye of Sauron. <laughs> and it really looks like an eye. It's super cool. No kidding. Astrologically, you know, this fixed star is said to both bring really good things, but can also be very 
malefic mm-hmm. either way. So it can go either way. But there's always a theme of some kind of conflict between materiality and spirituality. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it right. makes a lot of sense right. in the terms of this card especially, because I think one of the positive aspects of this card, if it's like really well dignified, it's renunciation of material success for a higher ideal. Yes. So giving up material things in favor of spiritual. And and that resonates with the theme of this fixed star. Yes. You know the phrase dark night of the soul, which yeah. I always associate with this card, right? Because yep. it's like you're at the absolute bottom, you know, but that phrase actually doesn't come from, you know, it's not intended to be a psychological crisis the way we mostly use it nowadays. It comes from a poem called, uh, well, it doesn't actually have a name. It was by a 16th century Spanish mystic named St. John of the Cross or yep. San Juan de la Cruz. And what the idea behind this, this particular crisis was not one of finding the darkness of your nature, but one of needing to be stripped of your ego, like crossing the abyss before uniting with the divine. So he wrote this beautiful poem, which has come to be known as the Dark Night of the Soul poem, or the, um, I just, I have a printout of it. I just want to read a couple of lines from it because it's so beautiful. It's real long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's a couple of lines in here which are particularly interesting. Okay, so I apologize to anyone who actually speaks Spanish here, but I'll give part of it a go. Um, a escuras y segura por la secreta escala disfrazada. So that means um, in like darkness and safety, uh, down the secret steps, disguised in other clothes. So, which I love because in the Eight of Cups, Rider Waite Smith, there's this sort of like, you know, covered over quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in the Deccan imagery, we'll talk about that, the, yep. the idea of clothes. Uh, o dichosa ventura, that's a coming of delight. A escuras y enfelada, estando ya mi casa sosegada. So that's in dark, unknown by anyone, uh, when all my house lay long in deep repose. And I think there's a quality of sleeping uh, to this card as well. Very um, much so. Yeah. En la noche dichosa, en secreto que nadie me vea. So in the fortunate night and in secret places where no one saw me. Ni yo miraba cosa. So I wasn't seeing anything. Sin otra luz ni guía, sino la que en el corazón ardía. Which means, uh, without a light to guide me, except the heart that lit me from the inside, that burned on the inside. So it's the, you know, it's the, the, the journey of the heart towards redemption. That's really interesting in terms of when we get to the Crowley card. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so... You know, when people get this in readings, yes, there's a quality of, oh my God, I got to get out of here. But there's also what you're going towards through this moment of darkness and deprivation, what it's leading you towards and, you know, something better. <laughs> something yeah, better. Yeah, the, the purification before the purity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you were saying this corner of the sky is the, the sea. Called right? the sea. Oh, yeah, and yeah. In, in this corner of the sky, so the constellations there, um, that's called the sea. Cetus, mm-hmm. the sea monster. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Aquarius, the mm-hmm. constellation. 
um, Pisces, the constellation of two fish, and the southern fish, which is um, yeah said to be the parent of the two fish. <laughs> you know, and I think there's something also in there in my mind connecting this idea of sea and sky the way in the tree of life from Bina, the way it reflects down through the chariot, and the chariot yes. has a starry canopy, which is also the sea of Bina across yes. the abyss. There's that like... There's definite parallels between yeah. the, the sky and the sea. Yeah. Um, one more thing for, for Fomalha, the mm-hmm. degree. I looked up two of the, the astrological symbol degrees. So the mm-hmm. Sabian symbols that I think we've talked about before in these podcasts. Mm-hmm. That one is the narrow isthmus between two summer resorts. Nice. <laughs> That's perfect. And then the Kosminski symbol I thought was pretty resonant in a way for this one. It says a lighthouse built on rocks in an angry sea, but over the sky is a rainbow. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that kind of looks ahead towards the Ten of Cups, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. Yeah. And, and the lighthouse built in an angry sea and rocks, it kind of, I don't know, it, it resonated. Yeah, what's the quote exactly? Lighthouse built on a... Yeah, a lighthouse built on rocks in an angry sea, over the sky is a rainbow. That's great. And there's definitely, in all of the cards, there's, there's going to be some foreshadowing in eight and nine of cups of that, of that rainbow. So that's, that's really cool. Now, the time of year is February 19th to 28th, roughly, which is just kind of interesting because that's like when we put in the leap year, right? Cause it's not the end of the year, but yeah. you know, there's that moment where you have to rectify things. That's the only thing I could come yeah, up with. Yeah, I wonder with. if the leap day actually falls in this decan or the next. Right, it's, technically, it's right which on would the it edge. be? It's yeah. right on the edge. Yeah. Huh. It probably depends. Yeah, between the abandoned success and and the happiness lies the leap day. <laughs> yeah, the sighting of the unicorn. That's what I right. call <laughs> leap day. Neat. So the associated majors are Saturn, the world, and we use the world for Saturn and the moon for Pisces. It's always interesting how to interpret um, the Saturn card. We ran into this with the Ten of Wands, I guess, and um, Five of Wands. Yeah, Five of Wands. So with it's, the f- it's not planetary, but in the Three of Cups, that's Saturn in terms of the Sephira. Right, right, right. So, so when Saturn, when we bring in the world card as a Saturnine influence. You know, we, we, we tend to read the Saturn cards as a little bit darker, but the world card is not perceived by most people to be a dark card. So how do we get from the meanings of the world or universe card to the sort of, uh, darker Saturnine meanings that we apply to the Saturnine decans? And I think the emphasis is usually on the enclosing and limiting of the universe, right? Because you have to, in order to set off this part, this safe space, you have to exclude things. So there's the Saturnine theme of restriction, denial, mm-hmm. borders, limits. It does remind me of, um, you know, the, the universe card does have this connection to Malkut. And one of the names, there's many names for Malkut, but one of them is the Gate of Tears. Does, is that about the connection between Malkut and Bina? Perhaps. It could be, yeah. You know, it could be because be now with sea. sorrow, yeah. or the sea of sorrow, yeah. Interesting. So sort of as we were 
talking about up at the top, you apply this restriction to the emotional world, uh, and it places you in this painful moment of realization that you have to get through. What else about the world and the moon can we say? Well, you mentioned sleep. Yeah. And I think there's a parallel there. You know, there's the, the moon card definitely has to do with that subconscious realm of sleep. Right. And even the world card has, it's the, so the path of the world card is between Malkut and Yisod, and Yisod is the astral kind of plane, exactly. you know, the dream world, the treasure house of images. And the world card sometimes is even associated with that passageway between living and dying that ascension yeah. or or so there i think there is something about there definitely co- in is common something with about those sleeping and dreaming in there and the fact that the restrictions of saturn the leaden weight your body is heavy and paralyzed while you're sleeping right yeah and also the idea that is in many eight of cups not just rider weight smith but going back Further, we'll talk about it more. It's associated with journeying or with actual journeys, which a dream is a journey, right? It's like a, it's a trip somewhere. You don't know where every night, but it's, uh, but there is that quality of the moon's tides carry you somewhere. And the, it's the pressure of Saturn that forces you to go. And when, when you're in deep sleep, your, your body is paralyzed. Right. And that's kind of interesting. Right. You know, the material is, is is stuck and yes. the uh, ethereal is kind of set loose, you know the world as the body, the container of the spirit, and the moon as kind of like the spirit. Mm-hmm. And also, I think with the moon, there's always that quality of dim lighting that makes all things possible, which is uh, the quality of the imagination, which is awakened in the dream state. So, and this card has more of that quality than either the nine or the 10 of cups, the venturing into the unknown. Yeah, both of those cards actually seem to have something to do with the start of a journey, too. I mean, the world card is the very bottom, you know, the bottom of the tree, the first step into Mm -hmm. the tree from from the bottom. And the moon card also seems to be like the the astral journey, the the mental subconscious journey. Right. Because if you're, if you're going, as you're saying, so the world is between Yesod and Malkut. And anytime we step into Yesod, we're, we're like going backstage. We're going into what's behind the ordinary reality. What's behind the curtain. What's behind the curtain. Exactly. You know, uh, Austin calls this deck in the labyrinth. The, uh, I could see that, this yeah. idea of being lost. Yeah, and he calls it the convergence point of perception and reality, which I love. I Interesting. Mean, you know, we've been talking about uh, the unconscious and right. um, how how we're sort of uh, stranded on the shores of unconsciousness here. Now, pathwise, those two um, yeah, are they, also they interesting. Are, they, they connect. Have a, they have a connection, yeah. So the world card, it, the world or universe card, lies on the path between Yesod and Malkut, and the moon card lies on the path between Netzah and Malkut. So they have that connection in Malkut in this world, uh, plus the Saturn thing. So it's, a, in a way, a very grounded card what those two cards have in common has to be based in this world. Yeah, I would never describe the moon card as grounded, mm. but the moon orbits the earth. You know what I'm saying? Ultimately, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's some gravity happening yeah, here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and as far as the the Kabbalistic 
correspondences of the Eight of Cups. It's it's interesting, right? Because we have Hode in Hode of Hay or Hode in Bria, uh, and Bria is the creative world. I think we mm-hmm. usually call it. Yeah. You know, and here we're trying to apply the gifts of Mercury, the intellect to the creative world. So I think Isabel Ratto Kliegman in the, um, in her book on Kabbalah and the minors says something about how this card can be one of real introspection, you know, because you're trying to analyze what's going on inside you. Mm-hmm. It's a card of psychoanalysis or Yeah, and that's, that, that kind of relates to something I write about all the eights in general is that what success they have represents solitary success. Yeah. You know, alone. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and success, temporary, solitary success, but without much result. It's also interesting to think about in terms of the travel up the tree, the nine of cups represents a kind of success, right? And in fact, in, you know, in older cards, it is a card of material success, Mm -hmm. specifically, even Mm -hmm. though we might think of that as more of a disky thing now. But just think about, you know, the name abandoned success. It's like you left the nine where things were just as you wished. And you walk away, you abandon that uh, in order to gain something else um, in order to go on that spiritual journey and to progress further up the tree. So from nine to eight and then on. Yeah, that's kind of interesting if you reverse the series from 10, nine, eight. Yeah. You know, 10 is this perfected success and, and nine is happiness and then right. eight is losing interest in it all. Yes. Yeah, that jaded quality, right? Because there's something else that you're seeking. I think about that a lot, um, you know, because my practice in terms of reading for other people, I climb the tree before I read for people, and then I back down the tree when I'm coming back into myself. You know, and you can see both the journey from low to high and the journey from high to low as something to aspire to. It's just different, just two different directions. Both have their purposes. Right. And I think that, you know, sometimes we get caught up, especially, you know, when we're looking at the thought deck in sort of the corruption and darkness of the lower Sephirot, but they each have their place. They each, Mm -hmm. you know, serve a purpose and they're going in both directions. The virtue of Hode is truthfulness. And the vice, of course, is falsehood. (laughs) Right. Right. So you could think of it as, you know, with this card, you you need to be true to yourself. Um, Sometimes perhaps it's wise to abandon something. Yeah. The lunar qualities of these 8, 9, and 10 cards make anything seem possible. But therefore, you need to have some other kind of beacon as to what's right and what's true. So the Deccan images are a little bit different from each other. The Picatrix has a man with two bodies, which is interesting for the end of the year, right? As we get into Pisces, who looks as though he is giving a gesture of greeting with his hands. And the meanings are pretty right on target. Well, basically, all the translations say that it has something to do with uh, anxiety, debility, but also journeying from place to place, seeking good things, seeking riches and food. And then the Agrippa one has a man carrying burdens on his shoulder, which is very Saturnine, and well-clothed, which is a bit Jupiterian. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the idea of 
journeys, changes of places, and with the idea of getting wealth and clothes. You know, what's interesting is to think about for a moment, this is sometimes what we do when we have a card that has a bit of Saturn and a bit of Jupiter in it, those, you know, where the contraction and expansion are rubbing against each other, right? Um, Like we have it in the Jupiter and Capricorn as well, uh, in two of discs. Yep. There is Saturn in um, uh, ten of wands. Ten, of, yeah, a Saturn in Sagittarius. So th- when the uh, when the Deccan image from Agrippa, the man carrying burdens on his shoulder, has sort of a connection to that yeah. Saturn in Sagittarius, ten of wands yep. feeling. Yeah. So when Saturn meets Jupiter, Jupiter makes you go walking, but Saturn gives you something to carry. <laughs> Sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Only in this case. So in the wands, it was sort of like the burden of your own ambitions. Here it's the burden of your emotional baggage or something like that. Something that's kind of interesting and that we'll see through all of the eight, nine, and ten of cups is this theme, which Atea has, of a blonde girl, a blonde person. So blondes are like associated with the suit of cups. You'll be probably be most familiar with that from the queen of cups, who's often described as a fair haired woman. But, uh, but in the original uh, sort of cardomantic meanings for this card, they had a blonde girl, a fair haired girl. Uh, Wait actually says marriage with a fair woman. Wait's funny. He, he will actually draw from these older Atea meanings and try to try to reconcile them in a way that's very cryptic in his descriptions. But there's also in many of these, uh, the many of these older interpretations, the idea of a journey, something where you leave. Let's see. And I think Atea has it as uh, you'll receive very soon news of a person in which you have a great deal of interest. So, eh, you know, I mean, at a stretch, you can say a great deal of interest is an emotional Surfeit. It's almost the opposite of this card, though, because yeah. this card is a lot about disinterest. And about getting away from yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So go figure. And, you know, and the Eight of Hearts was considered to be the card of unexpected gifts or visits or an invitation to a party. So, you know, so there's an emphasis on definitely going somewhere, but the affect is very different. Oh, well, the Golden Dawn, they talk about the idea that there's a real instability to this card, which is it makes sense, really lunar, right? You know that idea that whatever whatever's going on, it's going to change, and that is just another you know uh, metaphor for journey and being low on the tree and off the central pillar. Yeah. That's always considered instability, to right? Some right, extent. right. And when we get to the nine of cups, part of what makes it so great is the fact that we're back on the central pillar. Yeah. Yeah. Back on the central pillar with direct connections to the yeah the above and below. <laughs> right. Mainlining the divine. Yeah. Yep. Let's see. Are we ready to go card by card? Yeah, why so not? What we do next? Okay. So uh, Rider Waite Smith. I really love this card. I don't know why. I always have. Um, it is pretty cool. Yeah, it seems like, you know, if you're going to have a tarot deck with all these archetypal images, you have to have somebody going on a journey, you know, leaving, venturing into the unknown. And that's what this card does. It is supposed to be an eclipse, what we see in the sky there, a lunar eclipse, specifically, the the, the face with the eyes closed. So there's mm. that unconscious sleep thing happening. Supposedly, there was a lunar eclipse in June of 1909, which is when Pamela Coleman Smith was starting this deck. So that may be a reference. 
It almost looks like the face is looking at the figure, though. Could be, yeah. It's almost looking over them. Look like they're down into towards kind of towards the left there, right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a pointing, a sort of like watching over the person as they go. Maybe that's a protection. One thing that uh, I thought was interesting about this card. So, you know, it's a combination of the sign of Pisces, the planet Saturn, and Mercury as Hode, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at what's in the card, you have the moon. That's a symbol for the for Pisces, the moon mm-hmm. card. Mm-hmm. And you have the mountain, which is a symbol for Saturn. Neat. And you have the figure with the staff and cloak, which reminds you of the hermit, which is a Mercury figure. Yeah. So you've got all of it right there. Oh, that's great. That's great. And the hermit itself is both kind of a Mercury-Saturn figure. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Father time. Right. Oh, that's that's really neat. So this place that it's set in is supposed to be uh, Romney Marshes, um, which is near Winchelsea in England. And apparently this was a really bad neighborhood. It was a place where historically smugglers would go, lost towns, you know, it was really a a wasteland kind of a Mm, place, which is very apt for this Smugglers makes me think of pirates and ghost towns. Yeah, there's something about the fringes of society here. Uh, getting away from civilization, although I think that was more the case uh, then in the dawn of the 20th century than now. I think also the eclipse, you know, in classical terms, the eclipse was always a malefic event, right? It's uh, never an augur of good things. So that kind of goes with the subjectively difficult experience that people can have with this card. Yeah. Where does it, I'm curious where it says that that's an eclipse. Because I always took it as being the waning moon, which is kind of the phase I associate with the moon card. I don't see why not. I mean, it certainly can be interpreted as a waning moon. I've seen it in a number of places. I think the this particular reference I took from Secrets of Waitsmith from mm-hmm. Cats and Goodwin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see it either way. Yeah, you honestly. could. You totally could. You could see the face as either sort of the negative space uh, enclosed yeah, by the crescent like of the moon. Yeah, kind of like when you when you're looking at the crescent moon, you see the the Earth shine. Yeah, yeah. you can kind of see it. Yeah, or you can see it as you know the the Earth's shadow um, over the moon as well as an eclipse. Yeah, either cool. way. As far as elements from the major arcana that we see in there, well, you were saying uh, besides the sort of overt references to hermit to Mercury, Moon, and Saturn in the card, I almost think that if you kind of go into the Moon card. You know, it's like if you go close up, there's the swampy ground, there's the rocks. It's almost like this is a scene from the landscape from, of the moon. From further in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the Rider-Waite-Smith. And it's, you know, and the emotional experience is, is like that. The, the dogs, you know, chasing you or right. the, or the, uh, the fears, the creepy crawlies of the subconscious. And maybe even the two mountains are stand-ins for the twin towers. Could be. So this is a, sort of like an everyday experience, uh, of the sort of overall qualities of the moon card. It's interesting that you mentioned eclipse because did I ever tell you? I don't even, I don't know if we talked about it when we recorded the moon card or if this was after, but mm-hmm. when the eclipse in August was mm-hmm. happening, um, last year, the great American eclipse. Yeah, the great American yeah. eclipse of August 2017. I was on the beach at, <coughs> uh, a lake mm-hmm. and during the totality of the eclipse, a giant crayfish 
crawled onto oh, the yeah. shore. I remember that now. Oh, and I amazing. was and I was like, not only was it th- there's crayfish in that lake, they've always been there, but I've never seen one that big and it crawled up on shore just like in the moon card <laughs> during the eclipse and it it blew my mind frankly. Wow. <laughs> wow, that reminds me of like what happened to Young with his patient where the scarab beetle flew in yeah, the window? I yeah. mean, that's like you're living in the movie of your life. <laughs> yep. Incredible. The uh, the red garment, I guess, and the red shoes, those are uh, emblems of life uh, and carnality and passion. Um, and you know, and blood. And blood. Uh, somebody had posted something on Facebook this morning that just struck me as being interesting. They were they were talking about how when someone calls a suicide hotline and it's called a cry for help, that they disagreed with that because it's not that the person's helpless. It's that they've been, you know, struggling with something so overwhelming. And despite that, they're reaching out, you know, for life. They're reaching out, even in the darkest hour, they're still reaching for life by making this call. And to me, that's sort of what we see in this card. Someone who, you know, whose embrace of life is tenacious and so strong that in their red clothing, carrying the flag of life, they're leaving this dark place and trying to get somewhere better. It's also a stage card. Um, there is a little bit of a stage in front behind the five lower cups. You can see it. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that that just puts the emphasis on this as a, as a role that that one has to enact, one has to play out a phase that you have to go through. It's funny, though, if it is a stage, it's almost as if the person's walked into the backdrop and merged into right. the scene. Ooh, that's neat. Ooh. Yeah, so they, they're sort of like become part of the scrim. That's cool. Sort of like, uh, okay, now you are part of the imaginary, as if the uh, the backstage has become the reality, which is appropriate for someone who's entering into a dream state or the unconscious. All right. So uh, shall we move on to thoughts? Sure. Okay. Ooh, yuck. (laughs) Mm, Yes. The apex of unpleasantness, as he calls it. (laughs) Although I had to say the Seven of Cups was pretty unpleasant too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very similar though, you know? Yes. And he draws a parallel. We didn't talk about it in the Seven of Cups because he doesn't talk about it in the text there, but he talks about the opera Parsifal or the story of Parsifal Mm -hmm. and the Holy Grail. What does he call it? The... The Garden of Kundry to the, the Garden to of the Seven of Cups, to uh, Palace, Palace of, of Klingsor. <laughs> right. So, so that story, and I, I don't remember all of it, but I guess the uh, Parsifal goes to the Palace of Klingsor, and Klingsor. So, Klingsor is a sorcerer whose number one aim in life is to cause trouble for Grail Knights and and to make them deviate from their purity. And he does that by he has these um, maidens who he t- has. Go who, who, tempt to him. tempt them, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the, so if you look at the Seven of Cups, the illusion, that's where you see the beautiful maiden. But here in the Eight of Cups, in the story, I think she's shown to be really an old crone. Yeah, yeah. So the Kundry figure herself is a witch, right? Um, and she's cursed. She's eternal in life, but she cursed, she's cursed because she laughed at the suffering of Christ, supposedly. That's the the story. So she's this sort of like this blasphemous figure. She's doomed to walk the earth. And what she says, she tries to tempt Parsifal by, by telling him a story, I think, about how his leaving home left his mother bereft 
and she and she dies and so she's like got this whole mother guilt thing that she's putting on him which is very much you know of this card <laughs> you know it's like let me give you something you can just se- barely seven of cups yeah. Too. yeah 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 the but, dark feminine mother guilt um the upshot of the story is that he he refuses i believe and he in the end parsifal removes the curse from her i'm not sure how this works or how he does it but she he removes the curse she she is baptized so this is like the ace of cups right the the communion wafer she's she's sanctified and then she dies and you know white dove flies down baptizes sanctifies her and then she dies so there's the sort of redemption narrative that goes with it but uh, but this is supposed to be the garden of country so this sort of like the the seduction scene within the palace of klingsor he's confronting this which is the grail castle isn't it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so that explains the sort of corruption uh, the Black Sea there, mm. the wilting flowers that right. you don't want to go too near. <laughs> I think he called the Black Sea a lagoon incapable of cultivation. <laughs> he also called it, what, the uh, German measles of Christian mysticism. Yeah, which is hilarious. <laughs> you know, so I was thinking, why did he say that? I mean, the only thing I could think of is, you know, German measles, one of the main symptoms of it is fatigue. Mm. You're just weary of it all. Yeah. You're weary of the Grail Quest. You had enough. Yeah, and the other thing about it, I was I was looking up German measles, you know, wormhole. Of course. Um, <laughs> also known as rubella, right? And which means red. And it's not that for the rash. It's not that bad. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know illness? what? Look at those lotuses. They're all spotted oh God, with a rash. Right. There's the German There's measles. There's the German measles. They've the got lotuses the are diseased with spots. Yeah. So you have, you get an illness, you get a rash, but it's like a three day thing. It's like, so it passes. And it's like that, that three days seem very significant to me. It's sort of like the, you know, the three days. The dark and then night. <laughs> the dark night and then rising out of it. It's something that you pass through. Um, Oh yeah, when you were talking about the 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 solar hope, you see that in this card because on the horizon you see that band of glowing yellow oh, yeah. which is a solar color and you know it to me it's always symbolized what comes after this, you know, the 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 light in the darkness, the Yes. The dawn after the dark night of the right. soul. Yeah, they say that so the weather in this is supposed to be Dark and heavy, no sun, no rain, so nothing can flourish. Yeah, the uh, black clouds. I mean, that's a color of Saturn and yeah. really heavy. They look like they're they're weighed down. And the water is stagnant. Yep. And he says that Mercury is overpowered by Saturn in Pisces. And I guess Mercury is one of those, you know, is neither a benefic or a malefic. It takes on the qualities of whatever it's around. Yeah, you know? this card especially, I think dignity is important. Like, it, it, it's only good if it's very well dignified. It yeah. can, it does have yeah. some good mm-hmm. things. I think the good things I read about it, if it's good, it can be thorough and serious and philosophical and willing to... um give up material things for that spiritual path or ideal can be good in those. And also, you know, there's certainly times when everyone just has to move on. You know, it's yep. not a happy experience, but you got to do it. Yeah, and- sometimes renunciation is necessary. Yeah. I've seen this a ton in like readings for other people when they see the card and they're just like, that's exactly where I am. I just left this horrible relationship. I'm moving on. Oh, my God. Right. Yep. Yeah. 
definitely see the unpleasantness in the Thoth card where he says only disease and miasmatic poison can yeah, flourish. It's, it's like the, the waters of Pisces were already still and then you add Saturn and they become toxic. Yeah. <laughs> Stagnant and starting to lead in the water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Toxic water. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting that was in Liber Theta, it said that to compare this card's planetary Saturn effect on Hode as Mercury with the Three of Cups, which is the opposite. It's the effect of Mercury on supernal Saturn. Oh. So I thought that was a super interesting thing to do. So yes, Mercury with supernal Saturn in, in the Three of Cups creates this abundance with the slight tinge of it isn't going to last forever, but enjoy mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like the flip side of that. Yeah. Where the enjoyment doesn't even get to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, and this being the Saturn in the sphere of Mercury. Yes. So, so when we're talking about that, we're talking about deck and rulership planets, Saturn in this case, in the Eight of Cups case, and Mercury in the Three of Cups case, but then combined with the Sephira. So the Sephira, the third Sephira is Saturn Sephira, Bina, and the eighth Sephira is Mercury Sephira, Hood. And if you look at the cups in the, they're, they're rusty, they're dented, and the handles are broken in many of them. <laughs> and half of them are empty. Yeah. Only four of them have any water at all. And the other four are empty. So the ones that are empty are the three above, which makes me think of the supernals and maybe like a loss of connection to the the divine. And the central one that all the stems are rising from is empty as well. Yes. It's almost like the central one may be Malkut and the three supernals, but they have no water there. Because, yeah, you mean sort of like as if Tiferet is missing? Well, yeah, there's not 10 cups, there's only eight cups, but symbolically the three above, you know, to me suggests the supernals. Yeah. Well, the one kind of below in the center, maybe Malkut, which is connected to the supernals ultimately. Yeah. And all the handles are broken except the bottom one, the bottom central one. Oh, I never noticed that. That's true. And Hmm. the handles kind of look like Pisces symbols. They kind of do. Yeah, if you imagine a cross piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, how does it borrow from its two majors visually, do you think? Well, it's much more like the moon, the Thoth moon cards. The colors are definitely very dark in uh, in all three cards. Yeah. So it's got a lot of similarity um, of those heavy, dark colors. What do you think the, the cups are made out of? Well, they're said to be rusted, mm. which would suggest iron, although that's a martial thing. Yeah, yeah, or they could be oxidized in some other way. Mm. But, you know, it's interesting if you look at the universe card and thought you have these, you know, the metallic masks of the uh, the Karubic beasts and, you know, untarnishable, untarnished, and you have the contrast here of this, you know, degraded, corrupted metal. It's almost like, too, with the moon card, it shows the beetle rolling the sun, and mm-hmm. that's that, that midnight sun, the sun under the earth. And then eventually, you know, you come next to the sun card, the dawn. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of hinted at in this card. Yeah. It's so dark. It's like that dark part, the midnight sun, and then you see the dawn in the far distance. You can imagine that being the, you know, a beetle's eye view of the eastern horizon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, shall we move on to your card? 
Sure. I love this card. I really do. Yeah. The so, colors especially. Yeah. Saturn colors and moon colors. Mm-hmm. So we have the the barge of the moon that's shown in the moon card with the figurehead. Um, it's gone aground on the shores of sleep. So you see the, the water has those kind of lines that are suggestive of the sleep wave patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's directly from the moon card. It's They're also in that card. The cups themselves are dried up boards. They're the tube toruses from the world card, the universe card, but they've turned into like the, the same dried bleached boards Mm-hmm. Like a like an old shipwreck that's been just like and exposed to the elements forever. Yeah. yeah, and looking at them, obviously they cannot hold water. Can Can you say something more about the um the figurehead actually? Because I I forget what the inspiration for the figurehead on. Well, the it's kind of a combination of a siren and uh, one of those uh, demons of of sleep. Um, Oneroi? Oneroi, yeah. That, Oneroi. Yeah, the, yeah, that just yeah. means dreams, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, that guard the, the gates of horn and ivory. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Yeah, and plus she has the crustacean arm. <laughs> right. Which is perfect it, for... It's kind of bringing in the the um, the um crayfish or that's crawling out of the sea. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. part of her and the mm-hmm. bat wings. Mm-hmm. Does she appear in any other cards besides these two? No. Oh, neat. I sure um, would love to like see her in real life. Do, she wasn't inspired by uh, an actual thing actually, that you have, did she? Um, she was inspired, but changed, obviously, mm-hmm. from a statue. It's in Book M Lieber Mundi in the mm-hmm. section Random Art Notes or something, <laughs> where um, it mentions there's a statue in St. Petersburg that has a siren on it, and um, that looks very much like her, but without the lobster arms. <laughs> I don't even, yeah. So that yeah. was the inspiration. Yeah. I was like, Neat. oh, that's so cool. Neat. I almost made the figurehead the, um, there's a ship called the, the Cuddy Sark. That's the most famous figurehead because it, yes. it's got the, she's holding out a clunk of horse hair because it's the witch Nanny D from uh, Robert Burns's poem. Oh, and okay, and, and yeah. that figurehead is is holding this clutch of horsehair because the witch, you know, chases him and and just grabs the tail of his horse and rips it off. Oh, and he, yeah. he he jumps a stream and gets away. Yeah, and the cutty sark has to do with like her skirt being short or something. Yeah, and, she she was wearing a short skirt, which cutty sark means, means uh, yeah, short. Yeah. Yeah, Shemise, something like that. Something Shemise, like yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it was it was part of the inspiration for the card, that mm-hmm. idea of the figurehead. And I almost did the Cuddy Sark figurehead for the card because <laughs> it was so perfect. But I, I wrote it up in the book, but I ended up ultimately using this um, this other demon figure, mm-hmm. uh, siren figure mm-hmm. instead. And you also have a connection to the Rime of the Ancient Mariner, right? Which I think is so appropriate for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, in this card, you see the ship's run aground. It's an ancient shipwreck. The crew is long gone to... Davy Jones's locker. Yes. <laughs> you know, which, which is kind of cool because Davy Jones was sort of a, a devil figure to sailors. So that brings in Saturn. Right, right. Um, yeah. and anyway, um, the rhyme of the ancient mariner is a poem, you know, about this ship full of sailors and they're given some spiritual help by an albatross who, who, who leads them the way they need to go. And one of the sailors kills it. Right. And then as punishment, you know, the gods or, or whoever, 
dry up the winds. And so they're stuck and they're not moving for days and days and days. I wrote down the little bit of the, that poem. It says, day after day, day after day, we stuck, nor breath nor motion, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. And that's where that comes from, which yep. is so great. So it does speak to that loss of fluidity and emotional connection and emotional maturity that's about this yes. card. Like, I think abandoned success does show a lack of emotional, emotional maturity. You right, know? right. The drying up. And the drying up, the loss mm-hmm. of, of what you love, what you're connected to emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. whole, the whole dryness there. It, it goes on to say elsewhere in the poem, it says, the very deep did rot. Oh, Christ, that ever this should be. <laughs> nice. <laughs> very, I love it. I love the very deep should rot. It's like, you know, yeah. the ocean itself is corrupted, yep. and just like in the Thoth card. And yeah, what you're saying about the emotional maturity, the albatross is, you know, that the divine grace, the connection. And the, they killed it. And they killed it. Yeah. And also, we were watching a documentary on birds the other day, Zoe and me, and the albatross literally is the harbinger of those sea breezes because that's how it flies. It's one of the fastest birds in the world, but only because of the ocean currents. You know, that's what it uses to get around. And, you know, it's a sympathetic magic thing. If you shoot the albatross, the wind's going to go away. Yep. <laughs> you know, also interesting is the, uh, there's there's a part of the poem where this ghost ship pulls up, right? And there's the figure of death is on it, and they see this woman next to death who is the life in death. Um, yeah, that's like a the, zombie that's queen. That's part of the poem, too. Yeah. yeah. Life in death. Super yeah. creepy. But yeah. it also has a weird, like, she's very, like, beautiful in a horribly creepy way. And it Almost has... Almost like the maiden of... Uh... Country. Yeah. 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 There's something definitely not right about it, but also beautiful. And, you know, and that reminds me of one of the sort of original cardamantic images that goes with it, the blonde girl in a ship. There's that as well. But so she's kind of the walking dead. And just the whole idea of the ancient mariner who his punishment is to wear the albatross, but also he has to unburden himself of this tail. That's one of the things that happens. It's like he'll, every once in a while, he feels this emotional, like overwhelming sensation that he has to like collar someone and disburden himself of his guilt and his conscience, which is so much the nature of this card. Mm. Even though like subjectively, it's more like when you're at a cocktail party and somebody like will not stop talking at you and you can't escape. That's one of my nightmares. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, I'm trapped. (laughs) So it's like, interestingly, this card can kind of relate both to the experience of the teller who has to rid themselves of this thing and the trapped person who's listening to it. Right. (laughs) And oh, and the person in the poem, in the rhyme of the ancient mariner who has to listen to it is the wedding guest. He's on his way to a wedding and this like super downer, like uh, monopolizes his attention. Yeah, and that that reminds me of um, Crowley's thing about the party that didn't happen. Exactly. But in his case, it's because it was the host's own fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, at the end of this poem, I think the wedding guest walks off and he's basically like, okay, I'm sadder, but I'm also wiser. (laughs) Which I guess is also something you're supposed to take away from this card. Yep. Yeah. 
So I think that um, that pretty much covers the um, imagery. Uh, I wanted to mention that the the sleep patterns, that's a direct nod to the Thoth moon card, which also yeah. has that. It's in my moon card, Rosetta's moon card, and the Thoth moon card. So this is in the waves, that, the patterns? Yeah, the, the, in my mm-hmm. cards, it's in the, the waves of the water. It is also in Crowley's moon card, if you see it there. Yes. Um, it, yeah. I don't know if that's meant to be water or not, but it looks like it. It's definitely, they definitely talk about that being brainwaves of sleep as yeah. well. Yeah, and I just find that so evocative yeah. for, for the moon cards in general. Is it a particular phase of sleep? I know they have, you know, alpha, beta, gamma, delta waves. Yeah, I think delta, but mm-hmm. don't hold me to that. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. The colors of the card... Orange is the color of the card, and you don't see much orange here except for in the uh, the sands, the shore that it's ground on. Mm-hmm. But then you have the colors of the world or Saturn, uh, indigo, black, blue-black, and black-rayed blue. And that's the orange of Hode? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then mm-hmm. the colors of Pisces, which are crimson, buff-flecked silver-white, light, translucent, pinkish brown, and stone. Mm. And uh, you can see all these colors in the card uh, to one degree or another. And I like the the crimson is just that line on the horizon. Yeah. It's, it's standing in for that solar yeah. glow. So what's your experience with the Eight of Cups? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, I do get it occasionally, and it's it is for the traditional theme of abandoning something, you know, losing interest in something. Mm -hmm. And I always just feel vaguely disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh. It's definitely a feeling of disappointment that goes with this, even more so than the Five of Cups. Mm. I think the Five of Cups is something more concrete, I think. Mm. For this one, it's almost as if you feel as if you should rouse yourself somehow because there's that sense that it's your own fault, whatever's happening. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? It, right. It's, it's within your control and you're blowing it somehow. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because there, there's all of that emotional baggage that's just standing there. Like in the five, you know, it's sort of spilled over or it's broken or whatever, but here you're still in possession of all of that stuff. And it's like your job to process it or deal with it in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like saying grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Grow up and get back on the journey. I've gotten this card um, for swimming a lot. I don't actually get this card a ton, but uh, but I've gotten it for going swimming. And, you know, sometimes because I don't just swim for pleasure. I also swim because out of obligation, like that's my exercise sometimes. I've also gotten it for farewell parties, which is interesting, right? You know, when somebody's going away or yeah, retiring that is, or whatever. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just laughing here. Because um, <laughs> when you said you get this card for swimming, yeah, I love swimming, <laughs> but often my idea of swimming is treading water yeah. <laughs> and, and usually holding a beer up while I do it, <laughs> which is kind of That's perfect. Great. Treading water is perfect for this card because yeah. I just, I, I don't know, yeah. I find it. And the beer is like it, the nine. It's right. like the next part. I find it relaxing. <laughs> That's great. Oh my God. That sounds fantastic. Okay. So I, I had this long sort of stretch where I wasn't able to work because like there was school holidays and I had all sorts of stuff going on. And then my first day that I had like a 
full day to myself. I got a migraine and I had to be unconscious. And that's, that's what, you know, that was the eight of cups sort of like clonk. Good luck with that. I, I had it. Remember that last, last fall, I had that sudden eye surgery that I had to have. And I got it the day I had just gone in for a checkup. And I ended up having to have uh, laser surgery for retinal tear. It was like, I got this card and I was like, it happened to take place at Saturn hour, like going into Jupiter hour. And so it was kind of that combination of those two of having to go on this like unpleasant journey of repair. <laughs> you know? mm, so that was kind of interesting. Um, and then there's just been a couple of other things where, where there's garden variety. There's something lonely about this card yeah. too. I mean, all three, all three cards, they have this sense of, of, loneliness to me they do isolation and and loneliness yeah if you think of pisces as a 12th house experience there's that isolation that yeah. goes with that yeah yeah and that yeah. kind of makes sense with uh the fixed star fumohat one of its names as the lonely one. Oh yeah right okay so shall we try to sum it up okay so uh some of the things we've talked about in this episode uh, have been, of course, the idea of Saturn in Pisces, the emotional burdens of the moon. Reason burdened both, the reason of Hode burdened both by Saturn and the illusions of Pisces. The deadly sea that drowns or becalms. The sea of the collective subconscious. The labyrinth. The lonely star. The Eye of Sauron. <laughs> the Hanged Man story with the theme of Pisces being redemption. The Dark Knight of the Soul. Davy Jones's Locker. The Lighthouse Built on Rocks in an Angry Sea. Oh, the Garden of Kunji. The Apex of Unpleasantness. <laughs> and the Lagoon. And the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Lack of Fluidity. Hode of Bria or Hode of Hay, the introspection or looking inward and, and psychoanalysis. Oh, and one thing we didn't mention is that because this is Hode, Mercury is in detriment in Pisces. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, de detriment and fall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although it'll be specifically in fall in the 10. But yeah, yeah, good point. Loss of heart, time and sorrow descend upon pleasure. With no strength to compensate. The German measles of Christian mysticism. <laughs> oh, and Lon Milo Duquette says of this card, it's playing solitaire till dawn with a deck of 51. <laughs> the albatross. The idea of renunciation of material success for a higher ideal. The party that was canceled because of the host's own fault. <laughs> <laughs> dreams and visions and the backstage of the theater the painted scrim the brain waves of sleep running aground on the shores of sleep and the okay. diseased lotuses <laughs> spotted with german measles <laughs> on that cheery note <laughs> okay well um everybody go take a bath <laughs> have a cool drink We'll be headed for happier times, literally happier times with the Lord of Happiness, the Nine of Cups, in the next episode. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortuneswheelhouse. 
But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarotcart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale, so you can grab a birthday present right now for your favorite Gemini, at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista. And if you'd like your very own Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. You can find them at our Redbubble shop. The address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. Go on, get yourself something. You know you deserve it. Happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane. We so appreciate your support. <laughs>